Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bones apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. I have a question for you today, and it's a question for me myself as well. The question is, How bold are you when God tells you to do something or to stop doing something, but when you consider to obey the Lord, you think of all the responses of people around you, what will they think of it? They might be angry with you. They might laugh at you. They might not like what you do when you obey the Lord. So, how brave, how bold are you? How brave, how bold am I when the Lord tells us to do something? But as we consider to be obedient, we feel unrest from without but we also feel unrest from within. From within, fear, we feel a bit scared, or even, even when we hear what God tells us to do, we think, but that's ridiculous. I can't think of that as, as something good. I, I, to do that is to commit suicide. I, 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 I can't do that. So, how bold are we? Now, let me give you an example for... This might be. This might might sound a bit bit theoretical. Um, let me very short tell you the story of an American woman. Her name is Rosaria Butterfield. You can find her story on the internet. www.rosariabutterfield.com. Very interesting to read her testimony and to read her books. I can strongly recommend that. 
Now, Rosaria Butterfield was raised in a non-Christian family. She was and is a very clever, intelligent woman. She was a professor, she, she was a professor of English, English literature, and of uh, female studies. And she was a fighter of the LHBTQ and so on movement, and a fighter for animal rights, and lots more. Now, when she uh, taught her her students, many times Christians would give her responses and trigger her. So one day, Rosaria decided, I should show how these Christians are wrong by reading their own book, the Bible, and making comments on it, how, how strange it is and stupid to follow this book. So she decided to start to read the Bible and to write some comments in the local newspaper. Now, her column became very popular and she received a lot of response by email or by letters. And Rosaria decided, well, let's make two staples of the responses, the reactions, one with the fan mail and one with the hate mail. Until she read one letter and she hesitated to which of the two does this letter belong. It was clearly no hate mail. It was very kind. It was from a local pastor. And he said things like, what a good questions do you raise here in your uh, column? I like them. However, I've got some questions and so on. And the letter even contained an invitation. Would you like to join us for dinner and to continue the conversation? You're very welcome. So it was clearly no hate mail, but she tasted in this letter that it was neither really a a fan mail. And, well, somehow, somewhere, she thought, let's be bold and let's go to that family and eat with that family. The wife she lived with, she was a lesbian and uh, lived together with a woman, said, what are you doing? But she said, well, I will go, let's see. Well, a long story followed, but um, Rosaria began to think, uh-oh, uh, uh, it, it may be that I have always been mistaken about what I thought about God, about the Bible, and about Christianity. But when she considered to take steps to get to know more, to be baptized, even to become a Christian, and to take steps, furthermore steps, well, if you were Rosaria, how would you feel? It would cost her indeed a huge lot. The woman she lived with wouldn't like it, and she would decide to leave her. She would be cast out of the loving, she felt that as a loving community, the LHBTQI movement, of which she was a fighter, they said, what are you doing? And she would even lose her job. That's her further story. You can read it in her her book. She, She calls her conversion 
uh, her train wreck conversion. Now, imagine you were her, and you stood there, you consider, I might do this, but what will it cost me? How would you feel? Another question, if you find it difficult to imagine you were her, consider you were that pastor. You read your newspaper, you think, I might write her a letter. I might invite her for dinner. But then immediately you feel the unrest. Lord, do you want me to do that? might also feel risky to do such a thing. So the question today is, how bold are you, how bold am I, how bold are we when the Lord tells you to do something or to stop doing something, but you feel unrest from without or from within? It, it, it seems to obey is, is like committing suicide. It's crazy to do that. Now today we have heard the second of the book of Psalms, and, well, what is this of a kind of a text? What is its origin? Where does it come from? What what is the book of Psalms of a kind of a book? Well, for that, we should go back to David, the king of Israel. So, imagine there is the city of God's people, Jerusalem, on a hill. On that hill, there is the palace of the king, And there would be later on, not in David's time, but David already had it in view, there would be a house of God, a temple. In that city, the people of God would come together. They would sing to God. But in front of the people of God would be God's anointed and appointed king. King David. Anointed in Hebrew, Messiah. Or in Greek, Christ. So in front of them would be their, their Messiah, their Christ. And what kind of a king did they need? Well, they needed a king who delighted from within in doing what God tells you to do. They needed a king who had the law of God in his heart. For if the king would do what God tells him to do, then God would support, the creator of the universe would support this king and this people. Well, and blessing would flow from that, of course. So David designed a whole book of songs, of hymns, of prayers, so that the people of God could sing this song in front of them, their king, to praise God and to bring to bring everything, their prayers and their praises and their requests to bring everything to God with and through this king. But imagine they have crowned their king and all the surrounding peoples hear about that and they decide, no, no, that people will not have a king. We cannot allow that. Let's gather together, let's get all our armies together, and let's fight and crush that people and that king and their city. So you are singing, you are worshipping, but armies are approaching the city to crush you. Well, that's a bit, I think, the picture you should have in mind 
when you listen to uh, Psalm 2. And then, if you're worshipping, while you know that the armies are coming to crush you, would you continue to worship? Would it be wise? (laughs) Shouldn't you think of your life? Isn't it suicide just to continue worshipping and uh, adhering this king? So, now we know a bit about the setting of this psalm. How bold would they be? How bold would their king continue to be as animosity was uh, raised against them? Now, this psalm is designed to give God's people boldness. That's the purpose of this psalm. Not only for them, there, then, but it is designed for God's people of every age. Also for God's people today to give us, to provide us boldness. Now, how can we become bold when we feel unrest from without and from within, when we lack boldness. Now the psalm is to be sung, to be proclaimed, and in the proclamation we hear two things. First, the psalm will help us understand the unrest, and then the psalm will help us to respond to it. So first to understand it, verses 1 to 3. Why? So, if, imagine you were Rosaria. Why would everybody get angry with her when she's curious to know more about Christianity, when she's thinking of baptizing to change her lifestyle? Why is everybody getting angry with her or getting angry with a pastor writing such a letter? Why are all these people coming together to, to, to crush this king? Does he look so impressive? It seems it's quite a vulnerable king. And they are not a mighty army. Why, why, why does this happen? Well, if we've got our why questions, it's a very good thing to bring them in prayer. To bring them in our songs. So this is how the song starts. It starts to just sing this question to God. Why, oh God, do they do that? But they sing this song In public, they sing it to God, but they also sing it as a question to those nations. And this is a very good lesson. If somebody wants to treat you badly, if somebody gets angry with you, you may ask, sorry, why are you so angry? Could you explain? So hear their song. They they sing to God, but they also sing to those nations who come as armies to crush them. Why? Why are you so angry? Why are you plotting? Literally, it says, meditating. Remember Psalm 1, the man who meditates on God's law. Now, here they say, why are you meditating on vain things? Why are you thinking of of us as very bad people to be crushed? Why? Why are you meditating these things? Now, they sing it to God. They sing it to them. But, of course, they also sing it for themselves. It's good to understand why does that happen? Why is all that anger there? Now we find an answer in the first of four voices that we find in this psalm. As we shall see, there are four voices in this psalm. And the first voice we find in verse 3. It's the nations speaking. 
The nations, the Gentiles, they in fact answer the question. So in verse 3, first voice in the psalm, they say, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. What is the reason for their anger? In fact, here we learn that they are scared. They're very afraid. What are they afraid of? Well, they are afraid that this tiny people, this small people, with their vulnerable king, loving a law of a God, will one day come and rule over them and impose all their laws on them. And then they might lose their freedom to do what they want to do. So this makes them frightened. They say, yeah, they may be tiny, they may not be with many, but we should do something. Kings, rulers, come together. You may be divided on many things, but today you should come together and agree that we should do something about this. Otherwise, we will lose our freedom. This should never happen. In fact, these nations are very proud. What is pride? Pride has something to do with no, there will not be a high great God above me. No, no. I will decide what is good and bad. Nobody will impose rules on me. This characterizes them. So in short, why are they so angry? Because they are afraid. They want to avoid that laws are imposed on them. So here you find also a lesson, a lesson that when you become part of a people with an anointed king, the Messiah, the Messiah, the Christ, with the law of God in his heart, when you start to love that law and want to obey that law, be aware sooner or later, somehow and somewhere, you will see that unrest around you and within you, and then it's good to go back to Psalm 2, and then you may understand what happens. However, to understand it, of course, is not enough. You must respond. But how can you do that? How should we respond? How should Rosaria respond? So she thought of doing that, and she came home. She heard the reaction. Would she continue to take her steps? Now here again we find a good lesson. If we want to know how we should respond, let's not start with ourselves. The psalm does not start in looking at how should we respond, but the psalm continues in asking how does God, the creator of the universe, respond when this happens? So when the armies are coming to Jerusalem to crush the people of God and their king, how does God respond on this? And now we can turn to the second voice in the psalm. So verses 4 to 6 contain the response of God, and in verse 6 you find the voice of God. Now is God intimidated when people on earth want to crush his people and his anointed king? Is he intimidated and afraid? Well, we read, he who sits in the heavens laughs. So the people of God are singing this psalm. 
They sing about their God in the heavens, and they sing about his loving. They have learned to sing this way because from the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible, they know their God. They know how God responded, for instance, when the nations built the Tower of Babylon. It was an impressive tower to, 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 to get hold of the heavens. So high was it. And then we read in the book of Genesis, when the Lord saw it, he went down to see, to see that tower. So that big tower was forgot. Too, too tiny to see it good from the heavens. He had to come down. So God laughs at such a big tower. Or think of Pharaoh. He wanted to crush the people of Israel. He thought, they become too many. Let's crush them. For God, this was peanuts, this Pharaoh. So learn, get to know the God of Israel better. He loves. We should hear this heavenly love. Yeah, they love at God's law. They mock, they deride the law of God. They say it's very bad. But God loves and mocks and derides of them who mock with his law. They are angry with God and God's king and God's people. He is angry with them. And then here, the second voice in the psalm, hear what God says. God says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So God says, I have decided that my people and the whole world will have a king. He doesn't look very impressive, perhaps. He doesn't have mighty armies. But that king there is the king of the world. It's my decision. Nobody can, 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 can get that undone. And then immediately the psalm goes on, continues with the response of the anointed king. So again, see them there on the temple square, their anointed king in front of them, and they sing first the why, then the voice of the nations they bring to God, and then they sing about the response of God, and now here the king begins to sing. What does the king sing? Listen to the third voice in the song. The third voice we find in verses 7 to 9. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So is the king intimidated? Does he tremble when all the nations come to crush him? Not at all. This king knows about, about his identity, he knows about his inheritance, and he knows about his, um, what did I write, his authority. So first, his identity. He may be a very vulnerable king, you can laugh at him, at this king from Bethlehem, but he knows that God said to him, you are my son. So there is a very special relationship between God, the creator of the universe, and this humble king. So there are proud nations, but there is a humble king. But the humble king is very confident because he knows God has spoken to him, has said to him, you are my son, I support you. And this king also knows about the promise of the inheritance. He will not only inherit this nation, no, he will inherit the nations of the world. He will be king over all the world. As it was promised to David for his son, 
as it was promised to Abraham, as it was promised to Eve, one day, one day, the earth will be filled with people who are kingdom people, knowing God. So, here you see his identity, you see his um, inheritance. So, what should the king do? Should he look for a sword or whatever? Uh, First of all, he should ask. He and his people, when they are threatened, they can go to the to their God as to their father to ask for support. They can pray. And then here, the authority of the king. So the king says that, that God has told him that he, he will break them with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This doesn't sound very kind, does it? Well, um, in fact, the king says, God has appointed me to be the judge. So... One day, I will judge. If you continue to fight me, to crush me, one day I will crush you. One day you will be like chaff. Yeah? So that is the authority given to this anointed king, this Messiah, this Christ. And then, fourthly, comes the response of God's people. Yeah? So... They have been singing and hearing how God responds, how the king responds, and now they continue to respond. Verses 10 to 12, here we find their voice. What do they sing? It's an amazing response. (laughs) How would you respond if armies came to you? Then you would ask, please be merciful, please have grace. You would be very afraid, wouldn't you? Now, is God's people, are they, are they afraid? Yes, but they are not afraid of them. They are afraid for them. They see them rage against God's people, God's law, God's anointed king, against God, the creator of the universe. They come here, but they do not know what they are doing. They're not wise, they're foolish. When the God, the creator of the universe, wants to crush them, they will immediately lose their lives. So they say, oh, kings, be wise. Think of your life. Be warned, O oh, rulers of the earth. So they, they warn them and they invite. Their psalm is an invitation. Yes, you may come to Zion, to Jerusalem. You're very welcome. But don't continue the fight and the pride. But become humble. This unrest in you was also in us. But we have learned to see this humble king. And you can join us. You can join the covenant with this king. Kiss this king. Ask him for mercy. And then you become part of God's people. And you know the good rule of this wonderful king. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So Psalm 2 ends the way Psalm 1 started. Blessed that man who has the law in his heart. Two weeks ago we learned that's not so much in the first place about us. It's about the promised king. But it can become true about us too. Then last verse of Psalm 2. Blessed are all who take refuge in this king. Now, what's the message of this psalm? How does it 
apply to us? What does it tell us? It's very good to have this picture of David and his time in mind to understand it, but we should clearly see that when God's people with the king in front of them are singing, we see this point to that promised anointed king, the son of David, born in Bethlehem. See that vulnerable, tiny little baby in the manger. Oh yes, King Herod thought, I will crush him. No other king. Let's kill those children. Herod and later on Pilate. Oh, look at that son of God in whom God was delighted when he hung upon the cross. Nations are raging, but even his own people raging against him. We don't want this one to be king over us. And where are his followers, his disciples? Are they bold to continue? Yes, we believe you are the Messiah. Where are they? Are they bold? Here there is none with boldness except this king hanging there, except Jesus. Jesus who was sent by the Father to be a humble king. And when he dies on the cross, is he crushed? Is this the end of God's anointed and appointed king? No, no. See what happens here. Who is crushed here? What is crushed here? Here Jesus crushes the devil, his head, that serpent. Here Jesus crushes death that was our prison. We lived in fear of death. Here Jesus breaks the yoke, the bond of our sins. Here Jesus comes to redeem his people from their sins. Yes, he is the one to whom God has said, you are my son. And he will inherit the nations. Will he continue to be in death? Oh no. Even when he died, we know about his father. He would not let him be in the grave any longer. His father rose him from the grave and gave him the highest place in the heavens. But before he went to the heavens, he said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me. So go therefore into all the earth and proclaim the kingdom. Tell the peoples of the earth, be wise. Yes, there is unrest in you. When you first hear about it all, it seems ridiculous and very wrong. Yes, you hate these laws. You think, how can you think about it? But investigate. There is a warning. Don't continue this way. But also an invitation. Investigate the way of the Son, the way of the Christ, the Messiah. So that's why we are here today. We had the question, are you bold? Am I bold? Let's be honest. We often lack the boldness. We might even feel within ourselves thoughts like, isn't this all ridiculous? Sometimes it seems that when God tells you something, it seems, no, no, that can't be good. We can't agree with that. We can't bow for that rule. But here it's God pleading with you. 
through the voice of his ministers. Even though you lack boldness, and even though you think, is it safe to do what God says? Learn from singing and hearing this psalm. Yes, it's safe. It's not safe to continue your way as you were going your way. That's not safe. Be wise. Turn. So this, in the end, brings us to our application. First, an application for you who do not consider yourself as a Christian yet. You are very welcome. A Christian fellowship is not a fellowship of hatred to anyone. You're welcome, and the God of the universe loves you. He does not want anyone to to be crushed, so to say. He wants you to live. He He wants you to find safety. So you're so welcome to ask your questions, to get to know him better, to find refuge in him, to join the people of God. The song is an invitation. For those of you who have become a Christian, there is here an invitation to grow in boldness. Are you obedient to the Lord? In some areas you have become obedient, but the Holy Spirit might bring in your mind that there are areas that you think, no, no, um, I keep that part for myself. It feels not safe to take steps to become obedient. You tremble when you think about it. But hear the psalm. Don't continue these raging ways against the law of God. But bring it to the Savior. He can deal with it. The old man, disobedient to God, should die with him on the cross. And the new man, risen with Christ as you were baptized, must grow in obedience and in boldness. Then thirdly, to hear and to sing this psalm may help us to become a bold people of God. And isn't that so much needed today? Isn't this what we so much lack today? We, as a church in the West especially, feel so often intimidated by the raging nations. What should we do then? I think, I believe, I'm convinced we should go back to the Psalms to learn to sing and pray them. It's remarkable, in the early church, there would be no Christmas without singing Psalm 2. You could not even think of celebrating Christmas without singing Psalm 2. And you could not even think of celebrating Easter without singing Psalm 2. But today, look around, ask, what's your favorite hymn? Is it Psalm 2? Psalm 2? What's Psalm 2? Well, I think we should get back to Psalm 2. Can I prove that? I think I can. Let's look at the early church, and that's the end of this sermon. One day, the church felt intimidated. So Peter and John had begun to proclaim the gospel around them quite courageous, but then they were arrested, intimidated, don't do this again, imprisoned. And the church feels this, oh, when this happens to them, it might happen to us. We'd better keep silent. So the whole people of God, the children of God, they are like once Israel was for Goliath. But then what do they do? You can read it in Acts 4, verses 23 until 31. 
They come together. What do they do? They, do? they pray. But do they just pray their own feelings, their own thoughts? No, no. Listen to verse 24. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain and so on? Do you see? They pray, they sing Psalm 2. They know that their king will one day be the judge of the universe. Psalm 2 is quoted several times in the book of Revelation too, by the way. And does that help? Well, listen to verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. You know us. You see us. Our weakness, our lacking boldness, our vulnerability, the unrest outside and the unrest inside. But Father God, we praise you that you gave us your word, this psalm, that you gave us your son, the beloved, and that we need not to fear those who can kill the body, but that we need to fear and love you with joy, who gives eternal life and who will judge the nations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are those who take refuge in you. Perhaps you're watching and you're not from a Christian background, a Muslim, a Hindu, an atheist background. You feel you would like to take steps, but you wonder, is it safe? Now, it's safe. You will be blessed if you take steps. And you will be blessed if you take steps in boldness to leave your sins. And it is even safe to have mercy on those around you and to become a testimony of your Lord, to, to, to share something of your faith. It, faith. it is safe. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So to be aware of that, to know that, and to hear it deep in our hearts, receive the blessing of the Lord before you go your way in God's world. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.